Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information about Home Church, visit us at myhomechurch.org. Good to be with you guys this morning. Um, before I forget, I just want to uh, remind you, if you came in a few minutes uh, late, we start off with announcements right after uh, service. It's a little bit tough with breakdown to give you exact time, but if it works well, hopefully 1.30, the latest two. We're going to meet in the office for those of you who would like to uh, be a part of um, what's, what we're calling Connect Class. So it's to learn about our vision, uh, the different ministries that we have, how you guys can get plugged in and serve. So I really, uh, if you're looking to take a next step, um, I would just really encourage you to uh, to join again about 1:32, so you got just enough time to go get some food after service, and then come be with us. Um, let's uh, let's open to Matthew 21, and we'll get there in a few minutes. But let's get our spot, Matthew 21. Man, wasn't that worship just incredible? <laughs> and I just, I just think I just love to honor people as well. Um, Dan's, Dan's uh, hit something on the guitar that I just feel so um, released something this morning. It was really, really beautiful. There's, there, there's a type of praise that's just the plucking of the strings. The scripture says that blesses God. That's why you can actually sense um, it's more than just a good feeling. God's actually drawn to those things. He's, he's moved by that. All right, so um, this is the, the last, uh, you could say the last message on, in this teaching series that we've been going through at the beginning of this year. We, it's been extended a little bit because we've just, God's moved differently in services and we've tried to respond to that and then we, we've had different people sharing different things. But ultimately what we've been after to start this new year is, is really speaking into the foundations of who we are um, as, as a church, like what, what, what are we about and, and we've really been laboring to unpack, and this is just one, we've just been hitting just little facets, I feel like. We, we come back to this topic regularly, but we've been talking about what it means to be a house of prayer, and, uh, and particularly learning the, the value of worship and prayer. It's really important, because I think if, if you ask any Christian uh, how important is worship prayer, every hand goes up, everyone knows it's important, but if we're honest, a lot of times there's a lack of consistency in our life in these things, and usually it's because we're really disconnected from the power of those things or from the, the value of those things and what's actually happening in the unseen realm. But if we could be awakened to what actually takes place when we lift our hands, when we, when we sing like this morning, like there's a reason why, as uh, Courtney was saying, you could come in with heaviness, be in an environment like this, and all of a sudden it's like, what? It's gone. That's not just by some mere coincidence, but there's actually things that are being broken and driven out through the place of worship and intercession. Uh, and so that's what we've been doing the last few weeks is speaking about the power of, of this house of prayer, which is Jesus's definition for his house. Uh, it's from Matthew 21, which we'll look at in just a moment. But we actually wrote this out because Habakkuk 2 says to write out the vision and make it plain so that those who read it can run with it, right? So um, we put this as hopefully as plain as possible, but there's really a threefold vision to us being a house of prayer. Number one, it's unto ministry to the Lord. This is our first ministry is to love God. Every ministry comes from this. You can go back and listen to all of these that we've unpacked. Um, number two, personal revival. So the presence of the Lord is transformative. And we spoke at length about how beholding the glory of God actually changes you. That you're set free from the fleeting pleasures of sin by the superior pleasure of Christ, by beholding this man, seeing and savoring. This is how you really get free. Uh, and so we talked about how coming around the Lord in the house of prayer changes you. And not only is it a way to love God, but you get changed in the process. And then what we're going to talk about today is city revival, the third and final uh, burning passion in our heart for the house of prayer. We not only gather to love God morning and night, uh, in the prayer room, we not only gather because we know we're changed by his presence, but we also know that worship and intercession has a profound impact on bringing revival and awakening and outpouring into cities. And so my hope this morning is to ignite uh, a, uh, a passion, a groan for revival in this city. Yes, <laughs> we want it. We need it. I pray it would ignite this morning a Romans 8 groan. 
which says that all of creation right now is groaning to be liberated from the effects of sin. There's a cosmic groan. Do you know that? It says creation is groaning for liberation. And then it says, and we too are also, meaning humans, enter into this groan. We don't know what to pray, but by the Spirit, he leads us. We're, we're groaning for the Spirit of God to renew the face of the earth. So we want to see city revival. So I pray there would be clear vision today, because I think a lot of times we throw out the word revival, and it gets applied to things that are really not meant to be applied to, and it dilutes that word. So we want to hold it. There should be an awe when we talk about God transforming a community. And do you know that he's able to do that? He really is. Listen, if, if, we, if you were to ask, I feel like most Christians, um, and this not to be like, critical, but if you ask most Christians, can, can you be personally transformed, every hand would go up. We've experienced that. We can look to other people who've experienced personal transformation. If you were to ask a believer, say, do you believe that churches can experience explosive numerical growth, most hands would go up. They could cite examples. But when you begin to ask someone, do you believe that the spiritual DNA of a city can actually change. What I find is there tends to be a tentativeness from believers. There's, there's, there's an, uh, almost an uncertainty as to whether or not this could actually happen. Could a, not just a, a person, but could an entire city that's been characterized in this way, whatever it is, hopeless, broken, addicted, forgotten, could that be so transformed that they have a new identity? And the answer to that is a resounding yes. And so I want to just call us up higher that when we're worshiping and praying morning and night in this house, we're loving God, you're being personally changed, but I want us to see that it's unto also this city and this island, I believe, being won over to the Lord. <laughs> and we get to play a part in that, and I think that's beautiful. And so I think a lot of times the, the tentativeness to believe for God to be able to change the spiritual DNA of a city is really because we just lack the experience in seeing that, if, if we're honest. The problem, though, is then we're letting our, our experience or lack thereof dictate what we believe is possible more than the heart of God revealed in the Word of God. So even though we may have not seen certain things, the reality is, is it's, it's happened all over this earth. It's happened in this nation. It's happened in other nations. And the more we see it in the Word, we see this is God's desire. It's His desire. He said He would pour out His Spirit on all flesh. Now, last I saw, not all flesh has had the Spirit poured out on them. <laughs> Now, you must be in Christ, but the point is the Spirit is longing for flesh to rest on. Habakkuk 2 says that this whole earth will be, will be covered, be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. That's God's desire. Revelation 11 says all kingdoms of this earth will become his kingdom. That's where everything is going. This is his desire. So what we're asking for is, didn't start with us. It's, it's his plan. Isaiah 35 says that when the righteous king comes, he will make desert places blossom. He'll, he'll make barren places begin to abound in fruit. That's an amazing thing. That means that when the righteous king comes and the spirit of God, he will literally shift the spiritual DNA, the spiritual climate, not just of an individual soul, but the soul of a region that was once known as barren and broken, now is known as a place being full of life. Do you know, I love this, Isaiah 62, it's a passage we've come back to a number of times. It's where, uh, it's really directed first and foremost to Jerusalem. But it says that Jerusalem, uh, at one point, it was forsaken. They were deemed desolate. These were names given over Jerusalem. This is where it talks about the watchmen on the, on the wall, who day and night cry out for the redemption of Jerusalem. But there's a title that's given to Jerusalem in terms of God renewing it that I, I've read just past and over and I believe it's so powerful and it's for, it's for us. It's something God has marked us with. And he told Jerusalem, he says, you will no longer be forsaken but you will receive the name sought out. <laughs> it's actually a title, a name that will be given to Jerusalem. He says, you were once deemed forsaken, you were once deemed desolate, but now you shall be called in capital letters sought out. So it's possible for places that people wanted to avoid at all costs will now be seeking after because the Lord is there, because the presence of God is there, <laughs> that literally the nations will stream to this place. These are things that we felt God has put deep in our heart, and we didn't even have that verse to, uh, to go with it. We know the Lord said he will lead people to come here, not because there's anything inherently beautiful about it, but because the Lord is there, and the Lord is setting people free. Amen. All right, let's go to Matthew 21. And I'm going to pick it up in verse, verse 12. 
So we're going to talk about city revival, city transformation. There's a number of words you can use. There are nuances to it. They do have slight differences, but at the end of the day, we're, we're onto the same thing. God, again, changing the spiritual landscape of not just an individual person, but an entire place. And I want us to see the connection between the house of prayer, specifically worship and prayer, that brings this renewal. So Matthew 21, verse 12, it's been home base for us the last few weeks. It's where Jesus comes into his triumphal entry. He'll enter into his house. And verse 12 says this, And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Verse 13, And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. So Jesus, the living temple of God, walks into the physical temple, and he's confronted with a number of things that ultimately he drives out, and then he tells us what is his burning desire for his house. And we labored over this a few weeks ago, that God's house is meant to be a place, first and foremost, a resting place, a dwelling place, a place that's centered on his presence. That's the heart of a house of prayer. More than an activity, it's about a house that communes around the Lord. He is centerpiece. And I want to just be clear in this, that God has in no way given me a mantle to be a, uh, a judge for his churches. <laughs> I don't want that. Um, I, I, I haven't been given some, some commission to be a holy policeman, to be accuser of the brethren. My heart is to build up, not to tear down. Um, with that being said, though, I, I feel like, if we're honest, though, there's something when we look at, in a general sense, the state of the church, at least in the West, there's something that's deeply missing. And if I'm honest, there's really something that I find that parallels exactly what Jesus found in this church 2,000 so years ago, which is that they exchanged the anointing for professionalism. That they traded the dependence on the Spirit for fleshly endeavors. That they substituted first love devotion for this carnal business approach. And Jesus comes in and finds all these things met with trade and business, and he drives these things out. And I, I believe the Lord is doing it again. And bring us back to a place where we gather around his presence. And as the Lord, confronted with professionalism and business approach, and we're looking at all of these numbers, and look at this, look at that, and the Lord drives it out. He's back at the center and says, my house should be a house of prayer. And look what happens in the next verse. Verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. <laughs> and what really encourages me, guys, is that this is a sign of the kingdom of God. Well, we, I'm going to give you some definitions of revival so we have clarity on this. But when we talk about God's, God's kingdom breaking in, we're talking about salvation and healing and the power and presence resting in our gatherings like we saw and then spilling out not just to these gatherings but into a community. And what's really encouraging but also sobering is that that was within reach of this house. Like Jesus didn't have to come in and say, this is so far gone, i got to go somewhere else. <laughs> It was a simple shift to Jesus back at the center, and what should have always been taking place is the kingdom of God being demonstrated there. (laughs) So good. (laughs) Not what I'm saying, but that principle. (laughs) And so what we see here, because I want you to see this connection, is that the house of prayer, when we come back to presence-centered people, which is what the Lord's doing here, reformation is unto revival. And these simple changes, what we see is as as reformation hits the house, and it Look, the house of prayer is not about a certain model. It's not, it's not, I believe one of the joys of it is that there's a blank canvas as to how this can look in every single body. God's leading each church in different ways, but what is a common thread is the DNA. It's a church that wants to bless God, move God, encounter God. It's a place that knows that we're a needy people, as opposed to Laodicea, who said, I have need of nothing. What happened? They lost their hunger. God, restore hunger back in us for you, Lord. I love the blessing of God and the favor of God. But sometimes we're not careful. His blessing, which has been on the church in this, in this nation, if not careful, it leads us to lose hunger. It's not that anything was wrong with the blessing or the favor, but how we handled it. It was meant to drive us deeper into him rather than to become content. So we're saying, Lord, restore a hunger back in us. Restore a groan back in us, God. And so reformation births revival. But I want you to know this, that revival then births reformation. And that's really important. So you make simple changes to come back to gathering around the Lord. All of a sudden, we'll see what we read in verse 14 more and more, which we have seen. 
But the more we see that, the more that we'll then experience reformation. What do I mean? I mean, once going through the stories of, of history of God's glory touching regions, uh, listening firsthand a few weeks ago or months ago to sit with some who have been a part of revivals, the common thread is once they experience the glory of God like that, they could never go back to business as usual. Revival produces reformation. We cannot then go back to the Sunday experience <laughs> of three songs and 30 minutes of preaching. Not when we've experienced pockets of what we just experienced before. You can't go back to that. John 11, Jesus resurrects Lazarus from the dead. And Mary, his sister, witnesses this resurrection revival power. And there's something the Lord was showing me this week is that in the very next chapter, chapter 12, Mary's found going into a house where Jesus is. While everyone is hanging around Jesus, she comes in and offers this extravagant offering, this costly offering of this expensive perfume. And I know many of you know the story. What's the point? I believe what she offered is directly connected to what she just witnessed in chapter 11. When she witnessed Jesus resurrecting her brother, she recognized the only right offering to him is everything. She could not go back to being casual in his presence because she had seen too much. So part of what we're asking was, God, it's, it's not, it's not um, I feel like revival, it's not meant to be mysterious in the sense, it is a, a mystery, but not mysterious in the sense that it meant, it's meant to be foreign. Like, it's not, it's not optional. We need, we need in this city, guys. We need in this city. Like, it's, it's just our strength, our own wisdom is not enough. We need the glory of God to come and touch lives, to be seen, the kingdom of God, to be expressed it's the only way. It's the only way. And as God does that, the amazing part is that it's going to lead to lasting transformation. And all of a sudden, the culture and climate and the, the focus of churches never go back. Hallelujah. <laughs> so Jesus comes in, cleanses, and then we see in verse 14, the power of God comes. So the house of prayer is unto transformation, the kingdom of God. Now, what is revival? Just stay with me, because I want to then connect to worship and prayer. But what is revival? Um, I don't know if you can necessarily boil it down to a single definition, but I will say this. I think so often that word is thrown around and applied to things that, again, as I said before, it becomes very diluted and we lose the awe factor. We lose the trembling of what we're actually asking for. Again, this is not to be heavy-handed or, or critical, but the reality is, is that if, if one says, come tonight, we're having a revival meeting, my friends, we cannot schedule revival like that. <laughs> That, that it's, unless we're saying that we're coming after, we're pursuing this, absolutely. But if we're saying we've scheduled revival tonight, we have missed that. And, and that's just so that you don't become disappointed or settled, but to provoke hunger, it says, no, there's more. Like, listen, thank God. I don't mean to despise the seed because often what we ask for, it comes in seed form. So we don't want to despise the seed because what's in the seed is everything that we're longing for. It's just not fully cultivated yet. So we're not ungrateful for the seed, but we recognize that the cloud that's a small fist is not the rain itself. Yeah. It possesses the rain, but it's not all of the rain. It's not the rain itself. So we thank God when we have what we experienced this morning. We thank God. Encounter night that we had two weeks ago, my goodness. I mean, Cesar could share testimonies of bodies being touched. God did incredible work. That's the last Tuesday of every month, by the way, in the, uh, in the office. We'll have it again this month. Incredible things happen. You know what that is? That's, that's the small cloud. <laughs> that's the seed form, and we rejoice and we're grateful, but we stay hungry for, for the more, for what's coming. And so revival, it's more than just a, um, an increase of first-time visitors, <laughs> although that will certainly happen, but it's, it's more than extending service an extra hour. Um, we're not in revival because we meet in a tent. <laughs> <laughs> Now, listen, I love, I love meeting in a tent. I, it, honestly, wherever you meet, it doesn't matter as long as that's where God's called you. But we can't say we're in a tent, and that means we're in revival. <laughs> but I want us to know so that our hearts are staying hungry and we can discern. So what, what exactly is it? As we've said a few weeks ago, part of it is what we're talking about is that the God who dwells everywhere, which is omnipresent, comes very specifically and powerfully somewhere. It's the one who's omnipresent then is displayed and is, is experienced and encountered in a very powerful way, in a very specific way, in a place. That's the manifest presence. So God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. And then there's the abiding presence. God's actually always with you as a believer. But that's still different from the manifest presence of God. The manifest is where it's like the veil between heaven and earth is thinned. 
And God breaks in, so much so that those who've been a part of revivals can only describe it this way. It's as if God stepped down, and everyone knew it, and something changed. (laughs) That's what we're asking. (laughs) God, would you step down? Thank you that you're everywhere. Thank you that you abide in us. But we're asking for you to step down. Like the stories we've heard, like like are happening all over the world right now. So let me, let me read a few definitions for you. These are from modern-day revivalists. You guys follow me? So I had the privilege uh, a few months ago for seminary um, to be uh, in, in the room with some just amazing men and women of the faith, and one was Dr. Michael Brown. And Dr. Michael Brown was a part of the Pensacola Revival from 95 to 2000. I felt like a kid in a candy shop. I'm sitting here, I'm listening to this man share firsthand accounts of what God did. He's sharing his diaries of, the, of each night where he would, after experience these several hours of glory back in the, in the late 90s, he was sharing his diaries of what he was writing, saying, God, this is what we dreamed of. You can go on YouTube and go look at the Pensacola Revival. You will sense the presence of the Lord still just watching these videos. I encourage you to listen to the baptism videos. There were some baptisms where one said, you know, uh, I was touched by the Lord, I got saved. And then the next person says, well, that was my sister. The next person comes and says, well, that was my brother and my sister. The next person comes and says, those are my kids. And then it was like, and those are my aunts and uncles. And a whole family line got saved. I mean, it was just incredible what the Lord did. And so he shared a definition just to give us some vision for what we're talking about that I want to share with you. He said, this is what he said. Revival is a season of unusual divine visitation resulting in deep repentance, supernatural renewal, and sweeping reformation in the church along with the radical conversions of sinners in the world, often producing moral, social, and even economic change in local or national communities. Entire regions are different. Man, there's so many stories I want to share right now. (laughs) There there was a place um, in Guatemala... I won't share the full story in this because I've shared it before, but the Lord so touched this land that not only were all the bars and the prisons all shut down because crime had stopped, but the land was so barren and broken. But God, when he moved, he breathed upon the land itself that they began to produce, I think, some of the largest, like most luscious fruit and vegetables ever seen. So much so that people actually came, businesses came in to say, how are you doing this? And the only thing they could say is God has touched it. Do you know when it says, the Lord says, I'm going to heal the land, he really means land? It's not just synonymous with people, although that certainly can be a way to express it. But when he says, if my people will turn, humble themselves, and cry out, I'll heal the land, he's actually talking about land. Like it becomes prosperous again, and businesses flourish. And it's not so that we are puffed up, but so that the Lord is glorified. How could this happen? One reason, the Lord is there. He went on to say one more thing in his definition. He said, transformation is what distinguishes true revival from emotionalism. The former produces lasting results, and the latter produces letdown and disappointment once the emotional high is over. Corey Russell is another man who has been a part of amazing moves of God and honestly carries a unique mantle, I feel like, in this hour to awaken that groan, if you will. Um, He says this, He says, revival is a divine season where God openly manifests the rule and reign of his son by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the release of apostolic preaching. It's a snapshot of the coming day when the heavens are rent and God comes down, dismantling the powers of darkness and loosing Satan's hold over the earth. Revival drives men, women, and children back to God. Stories of Pensacola where the local school districts, kids were getting so touched in the meetings, they'd go back and they were winning multitudes in the classrooms. Imagine that for William Floyd. This is the vision that we want to have. God, what would it look like for kids and teachers in the school districts just coming under the power of the Lord? These things have happened. (laughs) Then says, he goes on to say, revival is heaven's onslaught against every system and structure that has been set up in opposition to Jesus. It stirs up a deep longing for the manifest presence of God. Randy Clark was a part of an amazing move of God in Toronto in, in the mid-90s. And even today, uh, there, do you know that there's almost a sustained revival happening in a lot of South America, Argentina, Brazil. In fact, uh, um, I'm like, again, like a kid uh, in a candy shop. Um, 
Dina, myself, and my wife, unless some un unforeseen circumstance, we're actually going to Brazil this summer with a team with Dr. Randy to witness what the Lord is doing in Brazil. Uh, I recently, they recently sent a video to me. I, I got to actually watch through this video of a girl who was uh, two years old but was deaf, could never hear. They prayed, her ears were opened. For the first time, she could hear. I mean, I, the, as he was sharing the video, there was a bell dinging and all this clapping. And he says, don't mind that. That just means another person was delivered or healed as this is going on. The power of the Lord is so incredible. So pray for us as we get close to that because I want whatever is happening to, to touch us. But he, he listed out a few characteristics of revival. And this is not even the full extent, but I just kind of summarize it. Here's what he said. There's 10 of them. He said, a revival is a sovereign work of God where the Spirit is poured out upon people in an unusual manner. The convicting power of the Holy Spirit is so powerful that the most unlikely, stubborn, obstinate sinners begin to be saved. Revivals often have a date and a place where they begin, although they are never planned. When they begin, nothing is organized, usually very little advertising except word of mouth. Revival occurs, often occurs in unexpected, hidden places. Hallelujah. <laughs> Leaders are often untrained. Hallelujah. <laughs> Revival often falls a time, follows a time of serious decline in the church. Revival produces a fresh sense of unity of the body of Christ. Revival is often preceded, this is where we are today, by God raising up a people to pray. Often this prayer is based upon the prophetic revelation of coming visitation. What does that mean? It means that God begins stirring hearts that he's about to do something. That's when we begin to have an ability and a motivation to be in sustained prayer. Not because we have this idea, but we know that God says he's about to do this. That's where you find this desire to say, God wants to do what we can press in. He says, though it looks like the power fell suddenly and spontaneously, it was actually preceded by much prayer. The power of God is always manifest in revivals. Power such as to bring deep conviction and lasting conversions. Power to heal. Power to advance his kingdom through evangelism and other social programs. Power to cause physical manifestations. Trembling, shaking, laughing, falling are often associated with this. And as you can imagine, that brings a myriad of responses. <laughs> That's all part of it. The Bible takes on a new freshness when revival comes. There is a greater interest in the Bible and its teaching. Jonathan Edwards, who was a part of the first great awakening, he said this, he says, the Bible was such a new book. Texts that had been read a thousand times appeared with such fresh and novel interest that even old saints were tempted to think they had never seen them before and regarded them with a strange wonder. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? <laughs> God, that you would bring a strange wonder back to your word. This is why often revivals will birth new colleges and seminaries, or there will be an increase of attendance in local seminaries because there is such a hunger for the word of the Lord. And you'll also see new movements, denominations, uh, uh, new networks birth from revival. So these are just a few things that when we say we're praying for city revival, <laughs> it encompasses this and so much more. So the house of prayer and worship and intercession is so critical to this. I want you to turn with me to Psalm 22.3, please. I'm going to go through this quickly, but I want, to, I want to highlight worship really quick and then prayer. And then show you one example where we see these things come together in Scripture in a powerful way. But everything that we longed for, at least and on a foundational level, history shows it's united worship and prayer that leads to these massive moves of God. Why? I'm going to give you cliff notes on, one, on, one, on just a basic level. Worship and prayer are two primary instruments for the, for the ushering in of God's kingdom. So, Revelation 4 and 5 give us a picture of God enthroned in the heavens. And there can't be a, a clearer place where we see that the place where God is enthroned, what is it that, that is operating all the time around God? In Revelation 4 and 5, we see it's perpetual praise and prayer that encircles the throne of God. So God is enthroned in a place where there is perpetual praise and prayer. He's always enthroned, but that's where he exercises dominion, where he's welcomed and invited and honored. And there's no place in a greater extent than his throne room in heaven. The point is, is that when we create places on earth of perpetual praise and prayer, we create places for God to be enthroned here on the earth. 
He's always enthroned, but what, I'm, what I mean is that we, it's, it's that power of agreement where we're making agreement through our declarations where God then exercises his dominion in a unique, powerful, manifested way. And why this is so powerful, guys, is because Ephesians 6 tells us that the battle we face, you know this text, it's not flesh and blood, but it's principalities and powers. And so therefore, we don't wage war with fleshly weapons, but carnal. Worship intercession, the reason why they proceed breakthrough over community is because they get at the source of sin. They get to the source of injustice. They begin to get to the source of the brokenness that we see with the natural eyes. So when you get a people that are unified, interceding, worshiping, we don't even realize what's happening. Guys, we are breaking spiritual strongholds over areas to the point that then you step out and have a gospel crusade and there's multitudes coming, but it's because something was lifted. Something shifted. That's why this is so important. We, we have to learn how to fight the right way, if you will. <laughs> so Psalm 22.3, to share quickly on the worship side, it says that um, God enthrones the praises of his people. God enthrones the praises of his people. Now, think about that. There's so much to say in this, but to summarize it, enthroned, it speaks to kingdom. That means when you praise God this morning, you know what's happening? We can't see it, but you felt it. You felt that the kingdom of God came rushing in like that. That's why it's oppression goes, this goes, and you say, oh, I don't know, it's just nice to be with everyone. It is nice, but there's something happening. When a unified people do that, something's breaking. So as we, as we, inter- as we worship like that, the kingdom of God comes, and his kingdom is his rule and reign. That's why so often in the midst of worship, you'll see, man, it opens the door to see every effect of sin be dealt with. Healing, deliverance, all these things. Now there's an open heaven for these things to happen. And by enthroning God in a place, what does that mean? Uh, uh, What does that imply? That the enemy is dethroned. Every inferior power has to bow. That's why, you know what's amazing in worship? You don't even have to focus on the enemy. (laughs) You come in and start lifting up God and all these things start getting dealt with and driven out. And all of a sudden, there's just an open, uh, an open heaven for us to step in. I mean, I know these are stories you know. Jehoshaphat is one of the clearest stories of this. Three armies coming around him. I mean, his strategy was a terrible strategy in the natural. <laughs> We're going to send out the worshipers. But it says, as, as they began to sing and praise God, it says, as they did that, verse 20, it says, God set an ambush on their enemies. They didn't know it. It took them a little bit to get there. But when they got there, their enemies were so confused, they had turned on one another. But it was at the moment they began to lift their voice and sing and praise. Do you know that's what happens when we praise? God is moving. God is working. So I, I, I believe, I really believe like God's told us to set up a throne of praise right here in Mastic Beach. Right here in the midst of where it feels like there's so much going on. God, what are we going to do? There's so many needs, so many things to do. And I feel like God's like, would you just start lifting me higher than every problem? Would you lead a people just to begin to exalt me? begin to praise me right in the midst of this and there's so much that begins to shift look at Isaiah 30 please really quick I want you to see this Isaiah 30 verse uh, 31 I want to connect you to the power of your worship and your intercession and then imagine what happens when we come together One more verse on worship, Isaiah 30, verse 31 and 32. God is speaking about moving on the enemies of Israel. And what often happens in the Old Testament is you see physical enemies. But a lot of times for us in the New Testament, a way to understand this is that we fight a spiritual warfare. But there's a principle that carries over. So as God speaks about the Assyrians, I want you to see, in many ways, it's Satan in the dominion of darkness. So Isaiah 30, verse 31. This is what the Lord says. The Assyrians will be terror-stricken at the voice of the Lord when he strikes with his rod. Now listen carefully, verse 32. And every stroke of the appointed staff, that rod that the Lord lays on them, will be to the sound of tambourines and lyres. (laughs) Did you hear what that said? (laughs) Let me summarize this. Please don't miss this. God is saying to Israel's enemy, to Israel about their enemy, he says, I'm going to come and I'm going to beat the snot out of your enemy with a stick. (laughs) But my stick will be released at the sound of your worship. 
It's at the sound of the tambourine. It's at the sound of the lyre. It's at the plucking of the strings. It's at the lifting of your voice. It's at the dancing of your people. When you do that, what's happening is God is dealing death blows <laughs> to, the, to, the, to the principalities that sit over lives and families and over this area. That's why it's so powerful. It breaks, guys. So when we gather in that little room and sometimes we're like, ah, I mean, I, I know I loved God. I, I, it, was, it was whatever. I didn't really feel anything. It doesn't matter if you feel it. This is the principle. This is what's happening. There's a divine connection between physical obedience and spiritual breakthrough. Do, do you, this is why Moses, Exodus 17, when the Malachites were attacking Israel, God said, Moses, lift your hands. And he says, when you lift your hands, I'll give you victory over the Malachites. When your hands fall, they will overpower you. But what's the point for us? The point is there's a connection between physical obedience and spiritual breakthrough. So when God, God is in the midst of a, our gathering and tells you, I want you to lift your hands. Guys, that's not a charismatic thing. <laughs> that's a biblical thing. God says, lift your hands. God says, whatever, stomp your feet. Open your mouth. Kneel down. Be silent. Whatever it is. When you do that in obedience, that has repercussions in a positive way for the spiritual realm. Breaks things free. All right, prayer. Psalm 2.8. Time flies when you're having so much fun here. Psalm 2.8, not only does worship usher in the kingdom of God, but so does prayer. So this psalm is a psalm that prophetically is quoted often to apply to Jesus. Now David pens it, but it's fulfillments in the Lord. And why that's important is because there's an interesting interaction in this psalm between knowing it's about Jesus, between God the Father and God the Son. And that's what we're going to read, verse 8, Psalm 2, verse 8. This is prophetically it was the father speaking about the son jesus and here's what he says ask of me and i will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession now think about this all kingdoms are becoming the kingdom of jesus but what this psalm tells us is the way that that's happening is through the place of intercession even jesus is being told by the father ask of me this is amazing this is god's principle this is how God's kingdom is being ushered in through a people that learn how to ask him. <laughs> Listen, it's so, it's so simple, it's offensive. I want to be able to rely on my giftings, my the finances, all these other things. And there is a place for that. But ultimately, God says, would you ask me? While, we're, while we can be so busy in so many activities, the Lord says, who will ask me? <laughs> who will ask me for my kingdom to come? I think if we understood this more and more, I think... Our prayer meetings would be our most popular meetings. <laughs> I think intercessors would be the highest paid individuals on the staff <laughs> because this is so foundational. Even Jesus, who gives us the, the, the paradigm of how the kingdom comes, it's through the place of asking. Now think about this. The mystery of intercession is essentially this. We're actually telling God what he told us. The confidence to know that we're going to receive what we prayed for is when we pray according to his will. Yes, 1 John 5 which means real intercession is God speaking to us and we speak it back to him. Why is that so important? Because whose word are we actually speaking in intercession? The word of the Lord. And the scriptures say that when the word of the Lord goes forth, it's backed by angels and the spirit of the Lord himself. Oh my goodness. When God says, guys, home church, I'm going to do this, and we start praying that back, you're praying the word of the Lord. Sometimes it's a written word, sometimes it's the rhema word, but nevertheless, God spoke it. By the word's account, its own testimony, angels and the Spirit of the Lord himself will always back up his word. Revelation 19, Jesus comes riding in on a white horse, and then it says this in verse 13, and his name is the word of the Lord. And then it says in verse 14, and the armies of heaven follow him. What is that saying? It's a picture that the armies of heaven follow the word of the Lord. When you get God's word and we begin to corporately pray it back, the armies of heaven follow that. That's why prayer is so powerful because God, once his word goes forth, it never returns back void. Psalm 130.20, bless the Lord, O you his angels, who do the bidding of his word. What does that mean? Whatever his word says, they're assigned to do it. So when God gives us his word and we declare back, the angels are released. This is, guys, this is why in the temptation account with Jesus in the wilderness, you get to see in the natural what happens in the supernatural. How did, how, why did Satan flee? Because Jesus kept declaring the word of the Lord. As you're declaring it, 
these things are breaking again over places. It's not just the angels of, of uh, it's not just the angelic hosts. The spirit of the Lord backs up the word of the Lord. Genesis 1, how did God create? He spoke. Ten times in Genesis 1, it says the Lord said. And the picture is that this says the spirit of God was hovering over the waters, brooding over the waters. What was he waiting for? For the releasing of the word of the Lord. Once the word of the Lord spoke, he moved. This is what happened. You start saying, God, you said you revived. God, touch the addicts. You said you did it. When you start declaring this thing, the spirit of God is moving and backing it up. There's angelic hosts that are being released. <laughs> this is real. I mean, Elisha, they were surrounded, but when his eyes were open, what did they see? That their enemy was surrounded by the angelic armies. Oh, that he would awaken us to the power of what happens when we worship and intercede. God's kingdom comes riding in. All right, let's finish here. Acts 16. I'll finish with this text. Hallelujah. Acts 16, and I'll pick it up in verse... We'll... uh, Let's do verse 22. Acts 16, verse 22. We'll finish out right here. I want, um, I want you to see an actual picture of now the power of the mingling together of worship and intercession. Remember, when you create a place like that on the earth where there's perpetual praise and prayer, the realities of heaven, because that's where God is enthroned in heaven, manifest on the earth. And I want to show you a picture that although it doesn't describe everything that I've just described, the other scriptures do. You know now, you now you'll know why what happened took place in this account because of the power of what these two men were doing. This is a story of Paul and Silas who were thrown into prison, ultimately because as they brought the gospel, it was just overturning this city. And there was one particular woman who had a spirit of divination. She was a slave woman and she was following them. And even though she prophesied what was correct, it was in a, the wrong spirit. They rebuked her, delivered her. And as a result, the money she brought to her owner was gone. So the whole town was in an uproar. And they throw Paul and Silas in jail because of this. Because they're holy disturbance. (laughs) Righteous troublemakers. So here's verse 22. They're getting thrown into prison by the crowds because of this. Verse 22. The crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. Paul writes in his letters that on several occasions he was beaten with rods. Here is one of these occasions. Verse 23, And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Verse 24, Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. (laughs) So what we're about to see is that 2,000 years ago, there was a house of prayer in a jail cell. (laughs) And... And listen, these guys are beaten, bloodied, and bruised, if you can get this picture. What you would expect to find is probably groaning in terms of despair, cursing at God. That's not what you will find. But I want, to, I want you to see that verse 24 highlights, let me come back to what I just said. There's a lot of things that we can see in this city and be groaning and despair over. <laughs> That's not what these guys did. If these guys, if these guys could set their attention on the Lord, so can we. <laughs> And it says, it makes a few points that I won't press all of the details, but basically by putting them in, fastening the inner stocks and putting them in the inner prison, what it wants us to know, what Luke wants us to know, is it was humanly impossible for these guys to get out. They need the glory of God to come or there's going to be no breakthrough here. Like a move of God was non-negotiable for where they were. Guys, this is what it is for us. (laughs) It's non-negotiable. We need a move of God. And so verse 25, it says... At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. There it is. They are worshiping and interceding. About midnight, what does that mean? Not that they started at midnight. It's actually a term that implies that they were persevering in this place. So they didn't just worship and pray one song and say we're done. (laughs) They were persevering for who knows how many hours. But they were in this place of just praying and interceding and worshiping the Lord. Actually, their feet in the stocks what would happen is there was multiple holes you could put your feet in and they would, they would stretch out your feet. You're talking about excruciating pain. 
these guys are in these stocks and they're just lifting up praise and, and intercession before the Lord and they're persevering in it. And the back part of verse 25, listen to this, so beautiful. It says, and the prisoners were listening to them. Of course they were listening. They were in the same vicinity. That's not what Luke wants us to see. He wouldn't put in an insignificant detail. What he's trying to get us to see is that as they're worshiping and praying, something's happening in this jail cell. The Spirit of God is moving and beginning to awaken hearts. They're not just listening because they're in the same proximity. They're being awakened. Something is happening as these men. What is it? It's everything we share. The kingdom of God is coming into this place. And then verse 26 says, And suddenly there was a great earthquake. (laughs) So that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Shackles came off. (laughs) So as they're worshiping and praying the hearts of those around begin to listen in because they're being awakened and drawn by the Spirit of God that's rushing in this place. And then it says a great earthquake comes. I know that in the natural, something definitely shook this place, but the earthquakes are often associated with the coming of God's presence. When Jesus died, it says he gave up his last last breath on the cross, there was a great earthquake. When Jesus resurrected, it says there was a great earthquake and the tomb was rolled away. What this is saying is not just a natural earthquake. When they worshiped and interceded in this jail cell, the presence of God came rushing in and began to shake this place at its core. That those who were bound and had no hope were liberated, set free. It shook it to its core. It's the only thing that could have made a difference in a place like this. We say, God, do it again. (laughs) We need a a shaking of the Lord in, in in, in this city that would liberate captives. Oh, what they could never do, the Lord can do. And then it says the doors were open. Now, I don't know exactly what Paul was praying, but I know in Colossians 4, verse 3, Paul prayed, or asked the Colossians, he said, would you pray for me that that the Lord would open doors for the word of God to go forth? I don't know what he was praying before this, but I know this, doors were literally being opened in in the natural and in the spiritual. He prayed for doors to be open. God opens doors. (laughs) Come on, let's stand. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I want to finish. I was torn on sharing this, but I'm going to share one testimony with you of God changing a city. And then I'll just pray over us as we go. And if there's anyone here who needs prayer, of course, we'll open the altar and we'll pray over you. If you don't know the Lord, if your need of God's kingdom touching your life is rule, we'll pray. Because he is here and he's doing this now. While we are longing for, for the rain, we know that we're seeing the clouds all over here. <laughs> and I, I want to I encourage you with this to where I started, that God has the ability to take a city that was once desolate and give it a new title called Sought Out. It was so radically transformed that people will flock there. And I encourage you to, if you get a chance, you can watch this. There is a, an older documentary called Transformation. It's a little bit dated, but the content is so powerful. And the man who, who was a part of it is still alive today. and His name was George Otis Jr. And he had a, a specific heart to go and track and trace the moves of God all over the earth. And so he actually went to these places, whether or not the moves had already uh, subsided or they were in the midst of it, he went to these places. And his desire as a researcher, as an investigator was really, what is the common thread throughout all of these moves of God? No matter the region, no matter the era, is there something we can put our hand on and say, this is the same thing every time? He didn't just want 80%, 90%. He said, I want to know, is there something that's 100%? And there were a few things he found, but the common theme that really stood out is he said, all of these moves of God that led not just to change lives, but again, a city changing, was that there was united worship and prayer. 
that preceded it. And then the Spirit of God, as something broke over that land, the Spirit of God moved powerfully. And so there was one particular city that he's in that he mentions, and it's in Colombia. The name of the city was Cali, Colombia. I want to just read a few facts. From 1975 to 1995, Cali, Colombia was known as the drug capital of the world. Of the world. Not of Colombia, of the world. I'm sure you've heard of names like Pablo Escobar. This cartel put them to shame. They don't know a lot as much about them because they were so organized that the things that they did were so subtle. But for 20 years, the, the Cali cartel in Cali, Colombia literally had a stronghold over this city. They couldn't do anything. They were actually viewed as the largest, richest, and best organized criminal organization in history. They became the number one exporter of cocaine. Billions of dollars at their disposal. It is said that in the 70s, they brought in, on average, $500 million a month. They had 1,200 properties alone in Cali. They literally were influenced every society, social, political, even the religious landscape. Corrupt. Economy was all jacked up because everything was about them. They had a stronghold in every single thing, and nobody dared to go in there. Nobody wanted to move there. It was a city forsaken. It says the city was paralyzed with fear. An estimated 15 people were killed every single day. When reporters tried to say what was going on, they'd find their bodies the next day. They brought in international organizations. This is the Colombian government. They tried to do something. They couldn't do anything. The Cali cartel drove them out every single time. It was an army. Organizations that had so much power couldn't change a single thing in this city. But then something happened. <laughs> In 1978, there was a, a pastor couple, Ruth and Julio, who felt the burden of the Lord to go there and believe that Cali Columbia was the Lord's. And they believed that if they could bring together a people to worship, pray, seek the face of God, that God can completely transform this city. And so the Lord gave them a strategy. He sent out the Christians in groups based off of a massive map. They divvied it up in sections. And they say, go study these sections. I want you to pray over them. And I want you to tell me what you find. And the common theme, actually, in all of these city transformations, and something for us that we're going to grow in, is that they found out that there was a heavy presence of the occult. In fact, they realized the Lord said that the drug cartel was really a puppet for the occult. And so they realized this is what they had to go after. And they began to set up these rallies to fast, pray, and worship. And in 1995, they held this rally outside where they literally all night brought the churches who were once so disunified, they came together and they worshiped, they prayed, and they began to come against these things that they saw the Lord revealing. It was like an old high school field almost where they had a track. There were dancers that were walking around the track and they were just interceding, they were just worshiping, dancing, all of these things. This was Friday night. That Monday, first time ever in the newspaper, the headline says, no homicides all weekend. Every day, 15 people were being killed. They hold this first rally. Two days later, not a single homicide had taken place. Ten days later, the first of the seven primary drug lords fell. They begin to see that there was such a connection between what they were doing and what was breaking as they came against these strongholds. The government officials saw it, and they saw the favor on what was happening, that they actually told them, they said, we, need a bit, we want a larger stadium. The government officials paid for it, and they got the largest stadium in this city, 55,000. They couldn't even bring all the people in. And they began to hold rallies for nine months where they would worship and intercede for this city. And within nine months, do you know what happened? Six of the seven drug leaders fell. And the Cali cartel, gone. And if you were to look it up in history, you'll find 1995, in the summer of 1995, this drug cartel was gone. What happened? A people began to worship and pray and seek God. So the effect was so strong that the entire city changed. It became a place that people desired to go to. Not only did it drive out the corruption, but it began to flourish. Churches replaced bars and adult shops. There was one church that began to host 35,000 people a weekend. They could barely get over 30 people in gatherings. Now you had a one church had 35,000 every Sunday. They said every single church was experiencing massive growth. When they went to one of the pastors and said, tell us the strategy, his response was, we don't have a plan. We don't have enough time. All we do is keep casting the nets and they keep coming in. The presence of God touching a land. When that stronghold broke, it was an open heaven. The government officials began to beg the pastors to come into the political arena because they said, we need honest men. All of a sudden, pastors began to actually work in the government. They had such favor 
that there was a, there was a festival that was held every year. It was a 10-day festival in Cali, and it was nothing but drunken debauchery. And the pastors went to the government officials and said, can we offer up an alternative to this? And the government officials not only said yes, but they said, we will pay for everything. <laughs> and they began to have these extended gatherings where they would, again, just praise God and everything would be to the glorification of Jesus. And they said there was such an openness to the gospel that anywhere you went, you would find someone with a story about what Jesus was doing. Prior to this, you would go to the upper class and they would mock you. It was the biggest joke to talk about Jesus. And now it says even those people, when they heard the name of the Lord, they would stop and listen. Many were coming to faith in Jesus. And they said, if God can do it in Cali, Colombia, well, I'll put it in here. They can do it in Mastic Beach. <laughs> they can do it on Long Island. Thank you, Lord. Come on, let's just lift up our hands. Just for, just for a moment, would you just lift up your own prayer to the Lord? We need you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. Oh, we need you, Lord. Come and touch God. Come and touch and awaken God. Give us faith to believe God. Give us faith to believe that you can do it, Lord. Give us faith, God. We need you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. Oh, we need you, Lord. Grip us with this, Lord. We need you, Jesus. We need you, Lord. God, would you put a groan in our hearts, God? Would you put a groan in me, God, even when it feels so foreign, Lord? Put a groan. Put a groan in us, God. We, we recognize we need you to need this, Lord. God, thank you that this, this isn't foreign, God. This isn't mysterious, God. But it's your heart's desire, Lord. It's your heart's desire to change this place. It's your heart's desire that this city would be called sought out, God. God, that people would stream here to see what you're doing, Lord. God, we lift up this place to you, Lord. We lift up this land, God, and we say, would you heal this land, God? God, we ask right now, Lord, that you would give us wisdom into the strongholds, God, that have oppressed your people here, God. We need wisdom, Lord. God, would you help us to guard our lives, that we wouldn't open up doors as we attack these things, God, that we would, we, God, we would plead the blood over our lives, God. God, we pray for keys, God. We pray for keys, Lord. We pray over the reservation, God. God, we pray that you would give us access into the reservation, God. We pray you would break the spirit of ancestry worship, God, that has been around this place, Lord. God, we're asking for an open heaven, Lord. God, we're asking as we go out and evangelize, God, that we would see open heaven, Lord. We ask, God, that as we have gospel crusades, God, that people would stream to the hearing of your name, Lord. God, we ask that we would embrace the glorious cost, God. It's so glorious, God. Yeah, God, we ask that you'd come down. We ask that we could say that God stepped down and we knew it and something changed. Lord, I thank you that you're a God who reveals your heart and we're a people who can hear you. We're your friends who you reveal what you want to do in this place, God. We're your friends who you told that you want to transform this place and when people walk down the street, they'll be convicted when they have drugs in their pocket and leave it in the streets, God. And nobody would pick it up, Lord. It would lay there as a testimony to what we no longer need, God. Because they'd be encountering you, God. You're doing a transformation in this city. You're doing the revival, God. We need you. We thank you that we can hear it from you. We thank you that you've spoken and that you are faithful to your word. We need you to fulfill your word, God. We can't do it, but we can ask you for it. We can partner with you in it. We thank you that you would open up your word to us, God, even more and make your word come alive to us in this season, that we would wield it, God, as a weapon, as, it, as we're supposed to. Oh, illuminate your word, God, to each one of our hearts, God. Then when we read it, we know it's for us, God. All your promises are yes and amen in Christ. Thank you, Lord, God. That means something for this very hour. God, I thank you. 
Your word says now is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. God, I thank you for the breakthrough that's coming now. God, I thank you for the breakthrough that's coming today, right now, God. I thank you, not just at midnight, God. I thank you for the midnight, but I thank you for right now. I thank you for the breakthrough from this place, from this moment, God. I thank you for expectation rising. Every time we lift up our prayer, we expect it to be answered, God. We expect to see breakthrough. We expect to see change. We expect to see God be glorified in this place, Lord. In Jesus' name, God, be glorified. Be glorified. Get your glory. Get your glory, God, in Mastic Beach. Every drop of your blood will not be wasted. God, I pray, no more wasted words. No more wasted words. God, put on each of us the reality of the weight of our words. One day we're going to have to give an account for every word we've spoken. So help us speak your word back to you and see your heart come touch the earth, Lord. In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you that you will transform this city, God, that this will be a city that is sought out. I thank you, Lord God. I thank you this will be a city that is sought out, God. I thank you for putting us here for the privilege and the honor to worship you, God, for the privilege and the honor, God, to pray this in, God, that you would use our little lives, God, for this big, mighty mission, God. I thank you that this city will be marked, Lord God. I thank you that officials will take notice, God, of what they could not do that the body of Christ will do. Oh, thank you, God. I thank you for the addicts, God, that will turn into evangelists. Oh, Lord, I thank you, God. I thank you, Lord, for the evangelists in this tent right now, God. I thank you, Lord God, for those who will walk in signs and wonders, God, who will declare your works, God. I thank you for the body of Christ, God. I thank you, Lord God, that you have gifted each and every one of us, Lord God, and I pray now that you would let a burden, God, fall for this city on us, God. We invite you to burn in our hearts for this city, Lord God, that we would have vision, Lord God, that we would have vision, Lord God, of the part that you desire each and every one of us, God, to to play in this body, God, that we would run together, God. I pray for a unity, Lord God, that we would run together as one body, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us now, God. Speak to each one of us, Lord God. Show us, God. Show us, Lord God. Show us, Holy Spirit, show us now. God, I thank you. I thank you that you made us one body, God, to accomplish this work in this city, Lord. I thank you, God, that you have spoken a word over this city, that you have let us into your heart's desire, Lord. And we can't wait to see it, Lord. We can't wait to see it, God. I can't wait to see it, God. I can't wait to see every addict free, God. I can't wait to see them preaching the gospel on the corner, God. I can't wait to see those people, God, who are dealing drugs in school, God, studying your word, Lord God, walking in everything that you decide them to walk in, God. I thank you, Lord. Oh, I thank you that you will use the foolish things to shame the wise, God. I thank you, Lord God. I thank you for giving us this blueprint, God, of the prayer room, Lord. You are a good teacher and a good leader. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We can't do it without you. We can't do it without you, God. Oh, God, I pray, strengthen us, God. Strengthen us to run this, God. Strengthen us to do this in the physical, Lord God. Strengthen us in every way, Lord God. And I pray now against anything that would keep us, God, from doing it, Lord God. From any attacks of the enemy, Lord God, that would hold us back, Lord God. I pray for our health in this house now in the name of Jesus. I pray right now that every spirit of infirmity would be bound in Jesus' name. I rebuke every spirit of infirmity off of this house now in the name of Jesus. I command you to go in Jesus' name. I speak with the authority of my Father and I say you need to go in the name of Jesus. You must take your hands off of this body in Jesus' name. I thank you, God. I thank you, God, that you designed us for this. us for this God. Cause us to walk in your ways. 
We're so happy you could join us on the Home Church Podcast. We pray this week's message encourages you to behold the Lord Jesus and bring his kingdom wherever you go. You can visit us online at myhomechurch.org, subscribe to our YouTube channel, or follow us on social media. If you would like to give to this ministry, text the amount to 84321. Bless you.